I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. It's just me today, and... We're going to be talking about a few things. I'm charged up. Three cups of coffee in. And the main three topics we're going to talk about is number one, the good news in my opinion. I mean, really, if I'm to be totally honest, the glorious news that Dennis O'Brien or Communicore is out of the Irish media market. Talk a bit about that. Uh, we're going to talk a bit, I'm going to share with you guys a really funny story about, um, it's not so much about cancel culture, it's just it's just a funny moment of uh, people not getting it. And uh, we're going to finish off by uh, talking a little bit about a health scare I'm in the middle of, the insanity of the American healthcare system, and we'll have a bit of fun with it too, so... Welcome on board. It's great to be back. Let's get straight into it. You know, I, uh, I, I'm not a fan of Dennis O'Brien. Um, if you're not an Irish listener, I think that this is not going to be that relevant to you. Uh, I, I'm, only, I'm starting with it because it's like, it's like on my mind. And, I, you know, I wasn't even going to start recording until a little bit later today, but I just I just couldn't stop thinking about all the times over the last 20 years that I heard stories about this guy and just wondered how he's getting away with it, you know? Um, and there was a time where I just thought, like, he's a fuck, he, he's a, just a shyster, you know, like he's a... He he's work, he's playing the game and he's playing it well. But when 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 my sort of critical eye of Dennis O'Brien shifted to resentment was when he just had this continuous litigation against anybody that spoke out against him to the extent that it was almost Putin-esque, except that he didn't have the power of Putin. But it was and he and okay, he wasn't poisoning people. Hands up! I don't want to. I I don't want to go too far, uh, but you know he he was just trying to stifle any criticism, which which would be fine if if it was unfair critic like like if he was some sort of like some sort of victim of cancel culture or uh, an intense case of sour grapes, then you could understand his anger. The problem is that. He was somebody who had amassed an incredible amount of power and wealth, and a lot of that accumulation happened through corrupt means, or certainly the main, uh, the main thing that led to his wealth was was brought on by corruption. So, just just a very quick sort of review, and this is like a 
this is a non-research review, so this is just the the review of the way that I remember things. But if you're an American listener and you don't know what I'm talking about, uh, the most important fact that you need to know is when Ireland released the second mobile phone license uh, back in the 90s, uh, there was like a tender process. And Dennis O'Brien's consortium won that competition. And after an investigation and a tribunal, the tribunal is not, of course, uh, legally binding, but the tribunal found that there was corruption involved in how that mobile phone license was tendered. Neither of the two main participants in this corruption faced any real consequences other than the tarnishing of their name. Michael Lowry, TD, still a TD to this day. You can Google that. And Dennis O'Brien, who just sold Communicore for $100 million. Now, I don't think he's done well out of a lot of these recent transactions. The understanding is that when he sold independent news and media, he lost a lot of money. $500 million, euros perhaps. I, I don't know. I don't really care. The point is that uh, from uh, from that, uh, the the licensing, uh, which was uh, for ESAT Digifone, that was the consortium, they won it. And then very shortly afterwards, it, you know, there was no restriction on him selling it on. Not that long afterwards, he sold ESAT Digifone to British Telecom for insane profit. I'm not even going back on the numbers because it doesn't really matter. What matters is that he he made a ton of money off this corrupt licensing, sold it very shortly afterwards, which by the way, he he was they got the tender for this incredibly valuable asset of the second license. So the Irish government creates this incredibly valuable thing. They underprice it, sell it to this asshole who got it corruptly. Then he sells it very shortly afterwards with no restriction. And after he makes all that profit, he quote unquote lives in Malta enough days of the year that he does not pay tax on the sale. So he gets it for cheap from the government. And what do the government get back? Sweet fuck all. I mean, this was one of the worst pieces of government tendering, worst examples of government tendering that I've certainly witnessed in my time in Ireland. Okay, and it's it's a scandal beyond all proportions, but these tribunals have no teeth. Michael Lowry still TD, and Dennis O'Brien went on to use that wealth to amass incredible amounts of power, and in the end, for a period of time, controlled the Irish media, uh, like controlled such a large percentage of the Irish media. It, it, it was hard to get anti-Dennis O'Brien stories out there, and we'll get more into that in a minute. But let's just stay on that. So I have friends. Well, I have one friend particularly. Uh, towards the end of the Celtic Tiger, it was it was very unaffordable to buy a house. It is again, but I guess back then it just it felt more boomy, and it was really Ireland's first proper property boom. And it was those crazy days. Anybody my age remembers it. And the government had these affordable housing schemes. Now they weren't corporation houses. They weren't like. Uh, you know, it wasn't social housing. It was a scheme to help people to buy houses, but you had to qualify uh, for, you, you, you know, you had to be allotted an affordable house, which they were good houses in, in, in you know, areas all over Ireland, but they were, they were cheap. 
Not to mention that, and again, I'm just going on memory. I'm not going deep into the research here. The I, I'm pretty sure that the government helped you with the mortgage. But either way, they were affordable. However, they had restrictions. You couldn't get this affordable house and flip it, right? So these people who are struggling to get by but want the dream of home ownership apply, they get it, and they have affordable mortgages with, in the long term, the, the dream of owning a home eventually with no restrictions. But year on year, the amount of money that you would have to pay back to the government if you sold the house diminishes. But if you flipped it in the first two years, essentially a, a huge percentage of the profit goes back to the government. In other words, the government is not giving you a cheap house for you to make quick money to sell it on the open market because you didn't get it on the open market. You got it on a subsidized market, right? Which is completely fair enough. It's a decent deal. And the idea wasn't for speculators. The idea was for people who couldn't afford housing to be able to get on the property ladder. Great scheme, in my opinion. The only negative about this scheme was that the property market would crash and suddenly the, so, the so-called cheap house wasn't no longer cheap. In actual fact, it was still too expensive for what the market became 2009, 2010, 2011, 2012. Now, long-term, it's been great. It was a long-term investment anyway, so it didn't matter. People knew that they could afford the mortgages, but still it was quite stressful to know that you were on an affordable housing scheme, and actually, had you waited a couple of years, you probably would have been able to buy the same house with no restrictions for cheaper. So that was a fucking stress. But nonetheless, certainly my friend, I'm not naming him, but... He's been delighted with it. It's been very affordable for him. And they live in, their, their estate is lovely. I mean, they, they couldn't be happier. But the truth was, he could not flip that fucking thing for big profit. So they were very concerned about affordable housing flips, but they were not concerned about the tendering of this incredibly valuable mobile phone license. There wasn't one fucking contingency in this corrupt contract that said, if you flip this in a short space of time for huge profit, you have to give at least 10% back to the government. So the Irish government, they got nothing out of this fucking shit deal other than 086. They got some extra fucking phone numbers. It was, it, it was so bad. Like, it was such a bad deal. And, and whatever. You could go through a litany of fucking bad deals, especially from Irish governments in the 80s and 90s. Just terrible corruption. But... Never any fucking pushback. All these people who came out bad out of all these tribunals, I mean, Bertie Ahern in the end, he's no longer part of government, but he's still, he's still out there. You know, and you know, I don't even have a problem with him being out there. I just have a problem with the fact that there's just no accountability when, when you're caught red-handed on these big things. But yet, when, when, when the smallest things are caught, there's accountability. It's, just, it's a double standard that would drive you fucking insane if you got into it. You know, and I always like using the example of the affordable housing scheme and just how conscious they were of not getting shafted by these, you know, these like young struggling couples flipping their houses, but they weren't worried about fucking ESAT Digiphone license being flipped. Sorry, uh, Han- I've probably woken up Hannah with my with my my roaring and shouting. She just woke up. The problem is that it's eight oh six a.m. Hannah doesn't normally wake up till nine, but uh, what's that? Yeah, till 9.30, so Hannah's woken up, and she's, she's ruined my, my anti-Dennis O'Brien flow, you know? I'm surprised she hasn't interrupted me with questions about, who's Dennis O'Brien? What's ESAT Digiphone? Fucking up my flow here, babe. 
I'm only kidding. So, uh, anyway, the the thing that's more annoying about this uh, this the corruption around the tendering of that license is that he then used that money to uh, buy up huge amounts of the Irish media. Now he was already in that game. I'm I'm not saying that he suddenly got into the media game by by using that money. You know, and I'm also not even saying he's not a, 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 a he's not a good entrepreneur. I mean, he's a good entrepreneur. The problem is that he uses corruption, which of course they all do. But when you get caught when you get caught being corrupt, you're supposed to have consequences. He had the opposite of consequences. He only had good outcomes for the majority of the time. The only bad outcomes he has had is from bad business decisions. He's had no bad outcomes from being caught red-handed in you know, illegality. Huh? He could probably sue me for saying that it was illegality, actually, which, which we'll get on to how much he fucking sues people in a minute. I, I, allegedly. Well, actually, I don't even have to. You know what? I don't have to say allegedly because he was caught red-handed. Uh, he, there was a tribunal that said it. According to the tribunal, it was illegal. So, Hannah said, say allegedly, which is like a, a giggly squad catchphrase because uh, they were once uh, given advice about <laughs> saying allegedly makes it okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so, and yeah, because he had, he was, he was part of, uh, he did actually uh, get one of the original, uh, you know, when Ireland started broadening out their radio licensing laws, he was part of that original a Phantom FM consortium. They got that license, uh, and then that became some other name. And then, but in the end, that that didn't survive. But that that's neither here nor there. I I, I digress. You know, too much information in my brain. Um, so he uses that money uh, to to buy up uh, various media companies, and in the end, Communicor uh, and Dennis Communicor owned. Uh, you know, Today FM, News Talk, 98 FM, you know, owned a, a huge amount of the radio market and also owned the FM 104, but they, they, they made him sell FM 104. Like, like finally, uh, finally, there was a little bit of pushback on, on the amount of control that this guy was having over the Irish media. Plus, he was a majority shareholder in independent news and media, right? So he, he owns the largest newspaper in Ireland and a, a very high percentage of the Irish radio market. That is an insane amount of control over the Irish media. It's fucking, you know, it's Citizen Kane-esque, the amount of fucking sway this guy had over the Irish media, which again, wouldn't have been a problem if he wasn't so litigious, but he's, he's, he was so, I mean, I don't know what happened if, if he just got, you know, deeper and deeper into his own paranoia, but not only did he start suing anybody that was critical of him and, and taking out huge court cases uh, against people, uh, from, from, the, from the small fry, like Waterford Whispers News, who you always know I will defend on this podcast, to you know, these huge court cases with the, you know, the espionage and you know, companies, uh, you know, like uh, independent news and media, like internal battles, just, just like insane court cases. Like the court cases, were, the, the courts were just filled with Dennis O'Brien litigation. Not only did he have that, but he the, eventually Irish Times uh, contributors were not allowed onto news talk. Uh, you know, he had a battle with Sam Smith because Sam Smith was critical of Dennis O'Brien. Then Sam Smith disappeared, allegedly. So... It wasn't just that he got it from corruption. It was that he then used that wealth to try to control so much of the narrative in the Irish media. And 
you you can't imagine the fear that existed in RTE, in any of the media organizations, the fear that existed about saying anything about Dennis O'Brien. So all I can do is share my own personal story of trying to make a joke about Dennis O'Brien. Uh, when I was making, um, I think it was Des Bishop's election, uh, very narcissistic title, very self-obsessed title. I, I apologize. It wasn't my choice. Back then, 2016 election, they I guess they felt that, you know, there was there was enough kudos attached to the name Des Bishop that they would put the name in the title. Uh, I think every series I've ever made for RT had my name in the title, except for um, my dad was Neely James Bond. But anyway, uh, we I wanted to do. We, oh, we did it. We did a. Um, we did a piece on taxation, which you can look up. It's online. And it was just like a quick jokey thing about taxation and how it works. And one of the sections was on VAT. So I had this joke that I wrote about VAT, which was VAT, basically that nobody fucks with VAT, like value-added tax, sales tax for the Americans. Nobody messes with that. No matter how much corruption, no matter how good your, your tax lawyer is, no matter no matter where you live in the world, nobody fucks with VAT. You know, you sell goods in Ireland, you're paying fucking VAT, right? Nobody fucks with VAT. You know how I know that nobody fucks with VAT? Dennis O'Brien pays VAT. That was the joke, right? Yeah, right? That was the joke. And the production company wouldn't put it in. That's how afraid people were of Dennis O'Brien. So I guess... The assumption is that Dennis O'Brien's going to sue us under the uh, under the you know auspices of Dennis O'Brien doesn't pay tax, but Dennis O'Brien is clearly a tax avoider. I'm not saying he's done anything illegal because it's pretty easy to avoid tax, especially in Ireland. But especially when the assumption is that they you know what they know that it's not it's not defamation to make that joke that Dennis O'Brien pays VAT. They know it's not. You know what? They don't want the fucking hassle, and that's what this guy did. He made everybody afraid of uh, saying a single thing about him. Consult the Moriarty Tribunal. Consult the Moriarty Tribunal first and then fucking sue me. I mean, what he did to Waterford Whispers was insane. That's one thing I nearly should look up. Oh, yeah. So now I remember they put Dennis O'Brien's head, I believe, on John Gilligan's body. And the headline was, Dennis O'Brien receives a 20-year jail sentence for a mobile phone license bribe in parallel universe. You know, so that was considered uh, defamatory, uh, which, is, which is very much what we're talking about here. It's really important that, uh, y- you know, uh, people know how litigious this guy is. So, anyway, I mean... That's really, you know, that's really it on the, on the Dennis O'Brien stuff. He's out of the Irish media market. Uh, I, I wish him every success in the future um, with whatever he still has going. I'm, 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 I'm assuming that he still has uh, some mobile phone companies in the Caribbean. I, I don't know. I'm, 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 just, I'm just happy he doesn't have as much... Uh, pull in the Irish media 
because you know, like I actually I defend anybody, anybody's right to defend themselves against defamation. But what I don't defend is using your wealth to take advantage of the legal system to intimidate people and to make people afraid, especially when you're in a position of immense power. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's totally fair uh, to, to take a case of defamation. It's not fair to create a, a presence of fear for anyone to say anything critical of you when you're involved in so many aspects of Irish life. You know, you, you don't maintain the same level of people not being able to talk about you when you own such a high percentage of the Irish media. You have immense wealth. And the Moriarty Tribunal found that there was corruption involved in how you got that license. You just, you don't, you don't get a pass on all that. You know? And, and, and I think every Irish person has a right to be frustrated with the moving to Malta. And what do we get out of it? You know, this is what bothers me about, you know, a lot of people, when I would criticize him, would defend that he's very charitable. And I made that point on Des Bishop's election, which is like, yeah, people have immense wealth and then they avoid tax. And then people say, yeah, but they're really charitable. It's like, yeah, you know what? I'd like to choose where my tax, I'd like to say, hey, I'm not going to pay tax, but I'm going to choose where I put the percentage of money that I'm supposed to be paying in tax. I'm going to choose where it goes. And when it goes there, I'm going to get all the positive PR. I'm going to get all the publicity that's related to me taking money I should have paid on tax that I gave to, and I'm going to give it to charity and I'm going to tell everyone how fucking great I am. You know? Whereas in actual fact, you're supposed to pay your share of money to society to help that society run. Because yes, you're a great employer and all those employees, they hop on the fucking dart, they drive on the roads and those roads need to be maintained and the dart needs to be maintained and it runs at a loss. So somebody's got to pay for that shit. That money has to come from somewhere, right? But when you pay tax, you don't get fucking des bishop provided 500 euros towards the maintenance of this pothole i don't get a fucking flag i don't get an article on the pothole that was maintained by my fucking tax money it's anonymous and it's just part of your civic responsibility but of course you're not interested in civic responsibility when you avoid tax to the extent that these guys avoid tax that's not your concern and I'm not speaking about Dennis O'Brien here, but what I am speaking about is these megalomaniacs that avoid tax and then just constantly use their charitable donations to make themselves look better. I'm sorry, but pay your fucking tax. And the fact that you argue that you're employing people, your employees are not a fucking proxy taxpayer for you. They're paying tax and you should be paying tax. You know, you can't fucking, you can't be like, oh, my employees pay tax for me. No, your employees are helping you to make fucking money. Simple as that. And I, listen, I, I understand. I, I, I completely understand if you, if, if you make an insane amount of money, I, you know, I, I believe that you should be, I, I, I'm all for tax breaks. I'm all for smart taxation within a country. I absolutely think that there should be uh there, there should be a reward for employing people. I, I'm not saying that. I'm, I'm not one of these people who believes that 
you know, all wealth over 10 million should be taxed at 80%. I, I'm not suggesting any of that. I still believe in smart taxation. But what I don't believe is a country that makes it so easy to avoid tax that the people that make the most money pay the least amount of uh, percentage of tax. I don't believe in that. And the only reason I bring this up is because people always defend these people by talking about all the great work that they do for charity. But if you go on to uh, Barrow Street and you see um, there's a filled pothole, uh, I donated to that pothole. That's the, that's the Des Bishop tar-filled pothole, tar McAdam-filled pothole. Uh, it's just it's on the left side of the street as you're, as you're going towards Ringsend Road. Anyway... That's, that's, that's that conversation. That's that, that's that conversation done. It's the problem when you're talking to yourself, you know, you just, it's hard to keep, it's hard to keep your thoughts going. So the second thing that I want to talk about, which I, I think is quite funny. I mentioned this on my Patreon during the week and I'm going to share it with you guys is this isn't really, this isn't so much of a funny story about cancel culture. It's just it's just a funny story about the ridiculousness of the internet sometimes. So I think it was Monday. I think it was Monday. Uh, it was a beautiful morning here in West Hampton. And I took the dog for a walk on the beach. And every now and then I just get, you know, like I just get in the mood to speak Chinese, speak Mandarin. And I was conscious of the fact that there's been a lot of anti-Asian, been Asian hate crimes in the United States. It's a bit of a story that was brewing up. So I kind of like, I kind of had that in the back of my mind. Like, you know what? I'll speak a bit of Chinese today. But I wasn't like making a point about it. I wasn't like saying this is, this is to support uh, Chinese people in the United States that may be experiencing uh, fear because of these crimes. It was just like, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to speak Chinese with, with that in the back of my mind. No big deal. And uh, so it was something like, uh, like the, the today the sunrise is so beautiful. Uh, and uh, the dog, I, I, I said the dog loves it. And... Uh, this is my uh, this is my dog, Mumu, but if if I was naming him in Mandarin, I would name him Nyonyo, which is like cow cow basically. But in China, it's normal to like double up on the name, so Nyonyo would be the dog's name in Chinese because you know the dog looks like a cow. The dog looks like a Nyo. Uh, coincidentally enough, this year is uh, Nyonian. And uh, the year of the ox, which is the same the same word, and uh, that was it. I was, I mean, essentially, really, I was just showing off, speaking Chinese. But I was also thinking that, like, if you are somebody uh, who speaks Mandarin and you follow me, and you've been hearing these bad stories during the week, it's like, hey, somebody speak. You know, it's just like it was just like for them, really. It wasn't for anybody, but uh, you know, me showing off. And the people that speak Mandarin hearing it and getting a kick out of it. You know what I mean? It was just like for them. I didn't translate it or anything. I just left it up. Oh, and I had also put on the first story in uh, Chinese characters, which means good morning, right? So then I got home and I was watching television and there was an ad 
for Conor McGregor's proper 12 Irish whiskey. And I was laughing to myself because in all these Conor McGregor proper 12 Irish whiskey ads, they're always like in a kind of a, you know, a, a sort of a wooden, sort of softly lit cigar bar old school Harvard Yale club type of a vibe with a fireplace. And it's all like, uh, you know, a whiskey, it's uh, refined and it's just very, you know, it's, it's just a very distinguished thing to be doing here. It's having yourself a proper 12 Irish whiskey, you know? And, uh, I think, I think I'm not sure. Oh yeah. And he's like, you know, brewed in the best, the, the best distillery in Ireland. And, you know, and I, I was just like laughing to myself because, for the average American, the joke I said was for the average American, they're probably thinking like Irish whiskey and they're thinking about like the Cliffs of Moher or Dingle or just, just really Irish shit, you know, that people would associate with Ireland, especially because he's got this like this beautiful wooden, you know, almost, you know, almost timeless uh, reservedness about his, his atmosphere. Uh but they have no connection with the fact that Proper 12 is called Proper 12 because he's from Crumlin, right? So the joke was, uh, when people see Proper 12 Irish whiskey, they think of the Cliffs of Moher or Dingle, whereas I just think of Dunn's in the Crumlin Shopping Center and the sauna that I used to go to in Crumlin Public Swimming Pool, which is no longer open. And the sauna was great because it was hot, but it was always like fucking greasy and disgusting and just like what you'd expect from a fucking public sauna, you know? But I wasn't complaining at the time because it was very affordable, right? So anyway, I did that with a fucking, you know, I wasn't even doing Conor McGregor's accent. I was just doing like my generic Dublin accent fucking joke about the fact that proper 12 Irish whiskey is really named after Crumlin. You know, which is the furthest thing from this fucking cigar bar fucking atmosphere that this guy has on. You know, it should be in like a fucking housing estate with a huge green in the middle of it, which is also a roundabout. And there should be kids playing fucking football and Ma's smoking, fucking calling their kids to come home for their dinner. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, can I come home for your dinner? One day you're going to beat the shit out of people for millions of fucking euro. Get in this fucking house. Proper 12, Irish whiskey. That's what it should be. You know, but that's fine. He get it. He's doing the marketing and it's working. By all accounts, I believe that Proper 12 is doing well. Anyway, the story isn't about me joking about Conor McGregor. And by the way, I, I'm assuming this guy has a sense of humor. I'm fucking hoping he does. Because one thing I can tell you for sure is that Conor McGregor can kick the fucking living shit out of me. And it's not very hard to find out where I live. And since I'm in the United States, I don't want my brother to have to take the brunt of my fucking jokes. You know? Get the fuck out of here. Your fucking brother's taking a piss out of me. I don't, I, I don't need to be dealing with that. You know? I, I don't need Aiden to fucking have to bring his proper eight, proper Dublin eight fucking American accent to try to deal with um, Conor McGregor. Even though there is some great footage of Conor McGregor walking out of the flats that are directly across the street from my house, which people tried to make accusations that he was up to all sorts of no good, which may or may not be true. But one thing I know for sure is that the flats across the street from my house, there is all sorts of no good happening there all the time. And I won't bore you with more stories of these little fucks robbing my bins. So my stories that morning were a couple of slides 
of me speaking Mandarin and then two slides of me taking the piss out of Conor McGregor in a Dublin accent. Within an hour, I get a message from somebody. I won't mention their name, so I'll read it. So with all the anti-Asian racism happening right now, this just isn't a great way to support their community. Mimicking accents of any race isn't actually a thing anymore. It doesn't seem to be your intention, but with what is happening right now, we all need to do better. That's all. I would take these down and figure out how to be more funny, how to be funny in another way, and support people who don't look like yourself. So I was like, what? I'm fucking speaking Chinese. I'm speaking Mandarin in support of these people. I spent two years living there, and this is what you take out of me speaking Mandarin? So I messaged back, I'm speaking Mandarin. If you spoke it, you would know that I'm speaking about the beautiful sunrise and what the Chinese name of my dog is. I'm a somewhat fluent Mandarin speaker. So I didn't get angry, and I probably shouldn't have responded at all. It was my fault, but it was just like I was kind of taken aback. So then this person responded by saying, I'm speaking to the two slides at the end, speaking in English with an Asian accent. So yes, I don't speak Mandarin, but I do speak English. I wouldn't comment on someone speaking another language. Jish, spelt G-E-E-S-H-S-H, Jish. So then I realize that she thinks that my two Conor McGregor slides are me speaking in an Asian accent. So I responded, that's a Dublin accent. I'm too international for you. And then she was like, okay, got it. My mistake then. I've actually been to Ireland twice. Can you fucking believe that? How do you hear fucking Conor McGregor's proper 12 Irish whiskey and hear a fucking white guy making fun of Asian people? How fucking bad is your ear that that's what you hear? Or how keen are you to find people making a, a, a cultural mistake that that's what you hear. Conor McGregor's proper 12. Politically incorrect in China. <laughs> I, just, I just couldn't fucking believe it. I, 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 was, I was in shock. I was in absolute shock. But I did know that you guys would be entertained by me telling you. Um, now, of course, I could use this as a a way into a great conversation about cancel culture and the positives and negatives of it. But I'm going to wait. I've had a few responses from people about who would be good to talk to about cancel culture. Somebody suggested Kevin Myers, which I'm not getting into because that's very much a conversation of you can't say anything anymore, which is a conversation I don't want to have because I don't think that a conversation about cancel culture should be about how cancel culture is just a negative thing. I think it has to be a well-rounded conversation about the positives and negatives of the current culture of calling people out. Uh, But I did get a good suggestion from somebody from one of the Irish third-level institutions about one of their lecturers who I believe focuses on culture, media, and celebrity. And I thought that would be a good sort of neutral voice to sort of hammer out uh, conversations about cancel culture. Because obviously, you know, I popped on Fox News this morning and literally every time I pop on Fox News these days, there's a story about cancel culture and PC gone mad. This morning's story on Fox, I, I, I mean, I literally do not watch Fox that much, but almost every time I pop it on, 
there's a story about that. We, we popped it on the other day. Hannah was with me, and there was this fucking bullshit Mupples, Muppets cancel culture story, which isn't a cancel culture story. It's just a story that like 13 episodes have just a little bit of a disclaimer at the start of them, which says, listen, some of this stuff might be offensive to some people. It's there, but we're just letting you know. They're not taking it down. You know, that, that the whole thing is there was this huge fucking uproar for 48 hours over the fact that the Muppets put like a little disclaimer over 13 episodes because a lot has happened in the last three decades and some of these shows were written uh, 30 something years ago and there's a couple of jokes in it that were deemed fine at the time which nowadays are considered culturally insensitive they're still there so actually we trust that you'll be able to watch this but we are just letting you know in advance that we are aware that some of these have not aged well so that's not cancel culture. That's just uh, what what I would say is uh, cultural sensitivity. Yeah? Not oversensitivity, not PC gone mad, just, just a nod to times have changed, which I actually think is like positive. That's the, the, that's the positive uh, aspects of inclusiveness and the way the conversation has gone. That's very positive. Of course, Fox was like, the Muppets are canceled now? No, you, can't, you can't watch the Muppets? You know? No, no. We're just, we're just conscious of the passing of time, you know? Uh, but of course, they, they love that story. They ran with that. That was the last time I popped on Fox News. I popped it on today, and it was a story about a university in the Midwest that these two girls had created a, uh, sorry, two young women had created uh, a conservative newspaper to give a voice to conservative voices in universities, uh, which I always love that a conversation about cancel culture uh, is driven by the fact that two people have created a publication uh, for conservative voices and they're having a conversation about cancel culture. It's like, yo, this is a story about the fact that in America you can create a publication that has a conservative slant. This is a conversation about the fact that some of the, some of the top 10 podcasts in the United States are ultra conservative, deserve criticism for their political bias, not to mention their lack of fact-checking, but they're there and they're not being shut down, right? That, the, the people that complain most about cancel culture are the people with the loudest fucking voices. And trust me, we will soon be having a conversation about the dark side of fucking cancel culture and you know people who are just in the business of trying to increase their popularity by calling people out. Separate issue. But the people that complain most about cancel culture are actually the people with the loudest fucking voices online. I mean, Ben Shapiro's nonstop complaining about cancel culture. The guy's making millions of fucking dollars a year fucking moaning with factless, factless ranting. Factless ranting. And he's complaining about fucking cancel culture. The guy's got one of the biggest fucking voices in the United States. Uh, anyway, uh, I, 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 I certainly... Uh, won't be uh won't won't be talking about PC gone mad when when we discuss it uh and of course you know it, it it's almost uh it's almost a boring conversation cuz there's fucking tit for tat but i'm doing comedy since 1997 and you know i remember a time where it was just nonstop pushback when you did jokes about religion i remember a time where they marched on RTE because Tommy Tiernan did a joke about the crucifixion. People forget that it wasn't that long ago that conservative voices were the ones that were stifling every fucking thing you said. All right? So I get it. 
There are elements of cancel culture that require discussion, but when the largest conservative voices talk about the fact that they don't have a voice, I, I, I have to laugh. Because a lot of what bothers them is actually the fact that more people have power and it fucking doesn't suit them. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You know, you couldn't you couldn't talk about abortion in Ireland for so fucking long. Like, and that's the whole thing is that like the Iona Institute, these people they they're, they're going to come out and say that you can't say anything anymore. And there are times where I will agree with some of their points, but they they don't fucking like looking back in the past when they tried to shut down every fucking debate about anything that didn't suit them. So we'll wait to have that conversation. But I did want to point out that the joke, the funny story about what just happened on my Instagram the other day. Is kind of from the other side, which is oversensitivity, which exists to the point where somebody will hear discrimination against Asians in a joke about Conor McGregor. That's the other side. And then finally today, I just want to say that I finished off last week's podcast by saying that I was rushing in for an ultrasound. And so anyway, the ultrasound was actually inconclusive. So now I have to go in for a biopsy on Friday, which is frightening, right? And I know you're all like, oh, or well, maybe you're not. Maybe you're just like, whatever. Des Bishop going on about fucking lumps again. Fucking career has been going on about lumps. But maybe some of you are like, to go in for an ultrasound. Now, to put your minds at ease, the ultrasound report did say that the absence of uh, other lumps uh, does not suggest malignancy. Uh, and uh, of course, I've been on Google, which a lot of people say, don't go on Google. That, that's the thing. Don't go on Google. Uh, which, of course, I, I did. I mean, who doesn't go on Google when you find out you have a fucking biopsy on a lump? Who's not going on Google? People go on Google when they have a fucking tickle in their throat to find out if they have fucking corona and they leave thinking that they have throat cancer, okay? But I got a fucking lump that an ultrasound couldn't conclusively deny was cancer. So of course I'm going on fucking Google. It's time to be on Google because now I got like fancy words from my ultrasound report. So I feel like I can get better information. And to be honest, Google really put my mind at ease in that from my research, there's a 4 to 6% chance that I have lymphoma. 
right? Which is like not a high percentage chance. And from even further research, I, I feel like I, I, I really don't think I have lymphoma. But definitely the reason why I'm getting a biopsy is to make sure I don't have fucking lymphoma. Okay? Which is, that's worrying, right? You got a hard lump and they're doing a biopsy. The last time I had a hard lump and an ultrasound, I had testicular cancer. In fact, they took out my testicle before they did a fucking biopsy. They were so sure it was cancer, they whipped out my testicle and then it did a biopsy afterwards. I would have been pretty pissed off if they were like, ah, it turns out it wasn't cancer. But it was. But I only got the biopsy results after my testicle was out. So of course I'm going to be afraid. Plus I'm getting like PTSD. It's the second time in my life I've had an ultrasound. And once again, it's like, oh, we're a little concerned. So that, you know, that, that, that is concerning, right? But in this case, Google, and the funny thing is that I was reassured by the fact that it's probably not cancer. It's probably Lyme disease, some autoimmune disease, cat's gra- So there's all these other horrible things it could be, but they're not cancer. So I was like, oh, it's probably Lyme disease. Oh, thank God. <laughs> you know? So anyway, I'm going in for that on Friday. So I'm, get, I'm getting my first dose of the vaccination, and then I'm going to biopsy on Friday. So Friday is a major fucking health day, right? Which is not ideal because I'm in the United States. But before I get into that, before I just quick, uh, before I conclude with a chat about the American healthcare system, can I just say that having a lump and getting an ultrasound and finding out that you need a biopsy is funny because just like back pain, when you tell people you have back pain, everybody likes to tell you what is wrong with you and what you need to do. And surprisingly enough, a lot of my friends are oncologists. I actually didn't know that I had so many oncologist friends. I mean, oncology hobbyists in that when I tell them I have a lump and that I've had an ultrasound and that the ultrasound has recommended a biopsy and my doctor has made the referral for a biopsy and I'm going for a biopsy despite the people in the medical field who were totally on top of my lump Numerous friends of mine, when I told them this scenario, started asking me questions about what my lump was like, what my lump was like, how long it's been. They started trying to fucking diagnose me. I was like, holy shit, man. I did not know that in your spare time, you diagnose cancer. I didn't fucking know that you had those skills. And I I completely appreciate that you're doing it out of concern for me, but you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Not to mention, I don't know what I'm talking about either, but I've spent the last week Googling about my fucking lump specifically. Have you? No. So we're both ill-informed, but I'm more informed uh, from Google than you are. And I know in 48 hours, you're going to know as much as me because I know you're fucking Googling right now because what's worse than cancer? I'll tell you what's worse than cancer, being wrong. I fucking hate that. Take it to the fucking grave. It's like, oh, why didn't he treat the cancer? Because he thought it wasn't cancer. And even when he knew it was cancer, he didn't want to fucking admit that he was wrong. So he's dead. Because being wrong is a, is a disease. It's really, it really, it hurts me bad. So to all my oncologist friends, I appreciate your concern, but shut the fuck up. And of course, I'm kidding, guys. And I'm only saying this because I know there are a lot of you right now that either have had something wrong with you and were driven demented by your friends fucking trying to diagnose what's wrong with you, or you're a diagnoser. And actually, if you're like me, you're probably listening to this thinking, I've been both. Because hands up, I've been guilty sometimes. Because there's nothing better than fucking getting it right. When somebody's got something wrong and you give your fucking amateur diagnosis and then they go to the doctor and they're like, you know what? You're right. You know what? You're right. It was Crohn's. (laughs) 
You're like, fuck yes. First time I've been right. I've ruined 10 people's lives, but I fucking got it right on your one. I sent three people into an anxiety attack the last time, but this time I'm fucking right. Yes. So this is my, this is my, my illness humor. So anyway, guys, I don't want you to worry because I don't think it's a big deal, but that's happening tomorrow. Uh, so I just want to say for this is mostly for Irish people because I think it'll blow your minds because it's blowing my mind because you know my my parents had good health insurance when they were sick and these insane bills you know you would see these insane bills but the money that you would owe would be minimal but like the numbers would be astronomical coming in for my my mother particularly because she just had like non like years and years of different illnesses and procedures and surgeries and she had good insurance, so you would just see the costs, and then how much she would have to pay would be minimal, like virtually nothing. Um, uh, but since I moved, you know, since I spend more time in the United States, I've been getting Obamacare. This is now, I think, my my fourth year of paying for Obamacare. I'm in my fourth. I think I've done three years on this particular health insurance, which is like entry-level coverage. Uh, for $520 a month, okay? So this is what I pay for uh, just like, just in case emergency stuff. Uh, And it's been, you know, it's been average, uh, but it's not terrible. But it's it's still $520 a month. Um, uh, Because I don't get any, I don't get any subsidy, uh, you know, because uh, Obamacare it, it, it is actually price-wise. I'm not saying it's great coverage, but price-wise, it's pretty good for people who can't afford it because you do get subsidized. I don't get subsidized, but I can still buy insurance through the marketplace, which from what I can see is the – well, actually, my understanding is it's the only way that I can buy health insurance is through the marketplace. But anyway – the marketplace is complicated enough, but I get it through the New York State of Health, and I pay it monthly, and this will be the first time where it kicks into play. I have not got the bill for my out-of-pocket cost for the ultrasound yet, but all I can tell you is that as part of my insurance, I am liable for uh, up to $8,000 in a given year. Like if, for example, like I don't know how much this biopsy is going to be. I don't know how much the ultrasound is yet. I've only ever gotten bills for like, you know, 17 bucks for my copay of uh, some lab results or something so far in my American insurance journey. But I do know somebody else who had coincidentally enough the same insurance as me and they had to get an emergency surgery and even though it was an emergency surgery and that is completely covered, they still were liable for the first 8,000 bucks. So this bad thing that happened to them, which was no fault of their own, with insurance cost them $8,000. That's with insurance, okay? So that, that, that's, that's what Obamacare gets you and that's a decent outcome because if you didn't have that, you could be fucking broke, that's the American healthcare system. So here's the other odd thing that will probably 
blow Irish people's minds. And I get it, the Irish healthcare system, you could be critical of it. But so I deliberately have uh, a GP, you know, my, my general health practitioner is uh, a company called One Medical. Actually, they're very good. So I, 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 uh, this is in all praise of One Medical, but the, I actually, I pay a little extra to use One Medical. They have a subscription. You have an annual subscription to be part of One Medical, but I feel that it's worth, it's not that expensive, the subscription, but I feel that it's worth it because their service is just really good. Plus, they take my health insurance. So the other crazy thing about the United States is you have to go to a place that takes your health insurance. And Obamacare, my health insurance is not like universally accepted. It's actually quite restricted. But luckily enough, one medical takes it. That's why I go to them. And I get I get two free uh, GP visits, two free doctor visits a year. And so on that fr- front, I have to say I can't complain. But uh, so they sent me to uh, Mount Sinai for the ultrasound. I don't know how much it's going to cost, but I do know that Mount Sinai is in network. So then I get referred to uh, an a, a ENT specialist, ear, uh, ear, nose, and throat specialist in Mount Sinai for the referral for the biopsy, right? So in the letter from One Medical, it says, check with your insurance provider to make sure that this doctor is in network. So I make the appointment, but then after I make the appointment, I check with, I call my health insurer and I say, is this doctor in network? Uh, They check and they say, no, he's not in network. Mount Sinai is in network, but he's not in network. So the visit to the doctor will not be covered. And even though he might refer, he might give you the biopsy in Mount Sinai, the biopsy won't be covered because the, it was a non-network doctor that asked for the biopsy. I was like, fuck me, this is ridiculous. So I was like, so are you telling me that I can't take the risk that the biopsy might not be covered even if I pay out of pocket for this doctor? And they were like, no. So I, I go crazy looking for an in-network doctor. I make an appointment with some in-network doctor somewhere else. I don't even know if, if they refer me for a biopsy where I'm going to go, if that's going to be in-network. I have no idea. It's like suddenly it's all really complicated. Suddenly Michael Moore documentaries make sense. So I make that appointment. I fill out all the new forms for that appointment. And I send an email to the woman who booked me in Mount Sinai. I was like, listen, it turns out Dr. Khan is not, uh, oh, I named him. All right. Well, it turns out Dr. Khan is not in network for me. Uh, uh, so I've made an appointment somewhere else. I, I, I'm sorry about that. Can I cancel the appointment? So luckily, this, uh, the woman that's the administrator in the hospital is like, I could already tell when I called her the first time that she's like really nice and helpful. She messages me back and she's like, your health insurer is wrong. He is in network, uh, but I'm going to double check with the, you know, the administration in the hospital to double check. She double checks. I get a, I get a letter from the, I get an email from the administrator saying, Dr. Khan is in network. Here's his tax number. Send this back to your insurance company and let them know that they were wrong. Right, so thank God for her. She resolved my problem, but I still have to cancel the other appointment. But what I'm saying is, it's very fucking complicated. And if you weren't paying attention, you could get stiffed for a lot of money. So this is my first, uh, you know, adventure in the American healthcare system properly. Please God, there's nothing wrong with me because I would, I desperately do not want to be going through. American healthcare on this insurance, I, I will go back to Ireland, honestly. 
I just can't be dealing with this. Um, because even though people are critical of the Irish healthcare system, I had a very, I had a very good experience and a good outcome from my previous journey through Irish healthcare, and I will feel more comfortable back there. Even though people think that American, the you know, what you get in America is better if you can get it, I just I just don't trust it. So anyway, that's uh, that's our update for this week. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Des Bishop. Uh, message me at Des Bishop. Uh, love the feedback. Love any questions. Uh, what else? Facebook.com forward slash Des Bishop. TikTok Des Bishop 5, although I'm never on that. Um, and Twitter at Des Bishop. Uh, we, got, we got some great guests coming up. Uh, it won't always just be me. Uh, so keep uh, keep on that. I'm tired now. You know, that's what happens when I do these when I do these on my own. Sometimes I, I get like, by the end, I'm like worn out. I can't even concentrate on how to sign off. Um, I'll put, listen guys, I'm not going to leave Instagram. I'll put a cryptic Instagram message up about whether we have good or bad news from my trip tomorrow. Because... This is personal information just for my podcast listeners. Now, I'm aware that this is not private, but at the same time, it's like we're a family. And I'm sharing it with the podcast family, but I'm not sharing it with everybody on Instagram. So I'll, I'll put up a cryptic message, which will be very clear to you guys that I'm fine. It'll probably be something along the lines of, uh, I'll do like a Conor McGregor accent, and I'll say... I'll say a cryptic message that will let you know that the results were positive. You know, it'll be something along the lines of, uh, you know, even though I was worried about the fleet, it turns out that the results were positive, you know, and then you guys will know. If it's negative, um, I'll probably just say something like, oh, I thought I was fighting somebody crap, but it turns out it was Khabib. And then you'll know, oh shit, Dez is in a fucking chokehold with a serious disease. Uh, but I won't be tapping out. No tapping out. All right, lads. Listen, we'll be back next week. Uh, not exactly sure what we'll be talking about next week, but we'll be back. And uh, for all my Chinese listeners, 谢谢。跟你聊天特别开心。我们下个星期回来。再见。Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.